Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, we are one day removed from one of the most shocking, one of the most startling, one of the most disappointing, disheartening events in the history of our sport. Last night at Bash at the Beach, we found out who the third man was. We were all stunned. It was disbelief, Larry, and I can tell you right now, later on in this television program, in the second hour, words cannot describe what happened last night, but the pictures will. We will show you exactly what Hulk Hogan did to World Championship Wrestling and all the fans worldwide, Larry. You know, there was one adjective you left out. It was the word disgusting. I'm disgusted. It was an act of total unmanliness that I'm never going to waste my time commenting on right now. Well, we'll be talking about it during the course of the program. And remember, in the Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, it's Dave Amontorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic, Tim. I am looking forward to this show. Uh, I mean, we're just 24 hours removed from probably the most uh, historic moment in the history of WCW, so it'll be interesting to see how they follow that up, because that's kind of like a big deal. To- <laughs> it will be interesting, won't it, Dave? <laughs> it certainly will. <laughs> but before we get to that, you can follow the show at 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, that's on Twitter. You can check out facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro you can email the show at 20 years of nitro uh, at gmail.com you can follow dave on twitter at dave amontorp that's with two m's amontorp mm-hmm. and that's about all the social media bullshit that i <laughs> want to talk about right now <laughs> if there's anything else we don't care <laughs> we are about one week away f- uh, one week removed i should say from uh, I-, I return from los angeles from bola the battle of los angeles out at pwg uh, it was a great show. I was at nights one and two, saw some crazy shit, saw uh, WCW alum Sean Waltman in oh. the parking lot at, uh, at intermission. Oh, okay. I believe he was getting high as he is one to do. <laughs> or he's vaping. I know that he's big into vaping now. Yeah, he could have been. He, yeah. he was he was chatting. I would have gone up to him and said something, if not for just the Minneapolis connection. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, he was talking to Trevor Lee, who has kind of looked like had come out during intermission just to sort of chat with him. So I was like, well, yeah. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was two nights of an amazing wrestling. And if you want to go to a PWG show, if that's something you ever thinking about, I encourage you to do so. I mean, I was kind of like following along because I know you were there. So I want to have an idea of, of the matches you were seeing. Yeah. And you basically checked off like every bucket list wrestler that I would want to see. Yeah. Like Marty Skrull, uh, Matt Riddle. Uh, Keith Lee. Yep. Um, Ricochet. I haven't seen Ricochet yet. Of all the things I was excited about, the best match I saw was these two guys that I, I'd heard of Joey Janela only because he had a show WrestleMania weekend called like Joey Janela's Spring Break. Yeah. That he did. Like I just, it was just kind of hilariously promoted. People kind of went crazy for it. I think Marty Janetti was on it. I think it's hmm. kind of, um, but he faced a guy named Sammy Guevara. And it was an insane match. It was the best match of the two nights I saw. And so these two guys I'd never heard of, I kind of came out of there like thinking like, holy shit, those guys, they're both small, but mm-hmm. but they, they've got, um, Joey Janela's got a great character and Sammy Guevara is willing to do some insane shit. Sweet. So uh, I'll, I'll definitely show you those Blu-rays when they come in. 
Uh, but as for this week, it is July 8th, 1996, and we are coming to you as live as live can be from Disney MGM Studios, a part of Walt Disney World located just outside Orlando, Florida. This is the 43rd episode of Monday Nitro, and as Dave said, it took place one night after Bash at the Beach 1996. Uh, I don't have the attendance. It's it's definitely smaller than a normal Nitro show. Yeah, I would say like a couple thousand. At, yeah, at most. At most. Uh, but it, they do a good job miking the crowd, I'd say. It it makes it sound like a big crowd. It is, and it's a very it's a very unique looking sort of venue. Uh I mean it it, it basically looks like an outdoor uh like indie show pretty much. Absolutely. Um, except you have like some of the, the like the Disney stuff in the background. That's just it's like a very weird like aesthetic. Yeah, it's very different. Uh, as we open, you can immediately see that it's going to be different this week because we're in broad daylight as the show starts. Uh, and for the next three weeks, Nitro will be airing live from Disney MGM. Uh, it's an outdoor set in front of a bunch of tourists. And why are they there? Well, I'll tell you, Dave, even though you may know <laughs> the answer already. Uh, the 1996 Summer Olympic Games were being held right in Ted Turner's backyard of Atlanta. Oh, that's true. And even though TBS and TNT did not get to cover the events directly, uh, their joint bid with CBS ended up losing to NBC's. They still uh, just sort of rented out their equipment. There was enough you know, interest from local news and all the people that were there to cover things. So all of their um, trucks and stuff, production trucks with the ability to broadcast live, were locked up. Okay. So WCW <laughs> needed to find an existing facility that already had the ability to broadcast live just within the facility itself. Okay. And MGM Studios fit the bill. And they had, um, thanks to Eric Bischoff, they had an existing relationship with Disney because he'd been filming shows there for quite some time for a lot of the syndicated programming. And, and didn't we talk about sometime around when Nitro began that he had an idea of just filming a lot of shows in MGM Studios? Yeah, they so almost every week, uh, WCW Worldwide Pro and Prime, which is a show I'd never even heard of until <laughs> kind of doing the research for this, uh, all of those are pretty much almost exclusively filmed at Disney MGM. Oh, okay. So the, the reason why they're here is because their traveling equipment's not available due to the Olympics. Right. Okay. Now, I, those uh, those syndicated shows, I do want to specify, I believe they're shot on a soundstage. They're not outside like this. Mm -hmm. um, this So this is still unique from those. Yeah. So at the time, I thought that the reason why that they were at this place is, was based on that original thought that Bischoff had and that uh, he went from Bash of the Beach to doing these really cheap shows because it was going to be more affordable. I didn't realize it was that equipment thing. So that's, yeah. that's completely new news to me. And now that I know that, it's a little bit more understandable that they have like kind of these like lower rent looking shows right yeah. after the biggest event in their history. <laughs> yeah, their backs were against the wall. And if anything, kudos to them for coming up with a solution that allowed them to still go live rather than tape three weeks ahead of time. Because that's what Vince would have done. I mean, that's what Vince oh, is yeah. doing at yeah. this time anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but they prided themselves so much on being live. I think we've had one tape Nitro, if memory serves. Yeah, I think the one that the Giant won the WCW title. Yep. That was a tape one, I know. I don't know if there's more than that, but like, they've definitely done whatever they can to not have anything taped. Uh, Disney MGM itself is a part of Disney World, and it has, uh, it's been known as Disney Hollywood Studios since 2008. It was originally both a theme park and fully functioning film studio. Uh, you want to know some movies that were filmed at the Disney MGM a lot? I sure do. I've got two good examples. Uh, Newsies. 
Okay. And Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> was it Newsies? That, didn't that have Christian Bale in it when he was like a kid? Uh, that sounds right. I know for sure it's got Doogie Howser's friend. Doogie Howser's friend? You know, friend. The, the like Italian kid <laughs> who is Doogie's friend on the show? I, I never watched that okay. show, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not very noteworthy is what you're saying. Uh, there also is a full animation house that was a uh, house there. That was where Mulan was produced. Okay. And uh, though over time the production elements have been scaled back and it's mostly just theme park now that's sort of Mm -hmm. movie themed i guess i i've been to disney world many years ago i don't even think we uh went to that part of the park do you now this kind of brings up an interesting question what do you think of outdoor wrestling in general what are your thoughts on seeing an outdoor show i personally really like outdoor um i i feel like it needs to be like more of a, a, a rare occasion um, like I like seeing it now and then. Mm-hmm. For example, WWE when they have WrestleMania outdoors because they're in big stadiums, it's it's a unique look, and I like seeing it every now and then. I don't like uh, if you see it every week, it gets kind of old. But uh, I know when I was a kid, I really that's one of the reasons I really liked WrestleMania nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I grew up, I realized that WrestleMania nine is really bad. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, I was like, oh, it looks so cool because it's outdoors and the sun's out and everything like that. Um. So I I do I do like it on occasion, but not like every week. It would it would get kind of old. But I think it's okay. Um, I have real difficulty when it sort of interferes with the ambiance that you would get where you're able to control more elements of the production, like how much light is available. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a notable example would be um, Undertaker coming out at WrestleMania in broad daylight. Yeah, I believe that was the one where he faced Bray Wyatt. In San Francisco. Uh, anyway, unimportant, yeah, unimportant right. that we. But anytime <laughs> the Undertaker is just coming out in daylight, yeah. a la WrestleMania Nine, where at least they had the good sense to give him a buzzard. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be bright out. Can't we at least give him <laughs> a buzzard? We at least, for the love of God, get that man a buzzard. <laughs> Tony Schiavone says that we are only one day removed from one of the most shocking nights in the history of our sport, as we found out last night at Bash at the Beach who the third man is. We'll see images of that in hour two. Tony crosses his arms like a petulant teenager as he says, we'll see what Hulk Hogan did to WCW and all the fans. Larry Zabisco says that it was disgusting and unmanly, and he refuses to talk about it. <laughs> Again, another Larry Zabisco thing, as he's talking about it, says he refuses to talk about yeah, it. And he'll go back to that unmanly adjective <laughs> a few times throughout the evening. <laughs> Great. We see some highlights, uh, well, highlights, just still images, but uh, of last night's exciting Ray versus Psychosis match and the very surprisingly good Dean Malenko versus Disco Inferno title match. Because of the outcomes, Ray and Dean will be facing each other for Dean's cruiserweight title tonight, and that match happens right the fuck now. Holy <laughs> shit. Nitro is coming out swinging. Yeah. Also, this is another instance in which it's the night after a pay-per-view in which they make the promise of showing the photos yes, from the night before. That's true. Uh, that's what Tony Schiavone comes up with. And I just, initially, I made the, the note that it didn't seem like that Tony Schiavone was like really torn up. Yeah. About, about Hogan. I mean, eventually he kind of shows disdain, but right away from the beginning, he's like in his Tony Schiavone, like, welcome to the show right. voice. So uh, He's also wearing a really shitty polo shirt with like a gray collar and gray, uh, like, <laughs> stripes around the sleeve part. Yeah. <laughs> Ray is out in a pink mask with silver trim. 
He has cool black robe with a giant gold owl on the back. <laughs> the robe is fucking awesome. Uh, Larry and Tony both agree that Ray is currently revolutionizing wrestling as we know it. Wow. Malenko is out next in black trunks with 1,000 on, on the back and a black vest. Tony begs us to call everyone we know, wrestling fans or otherwise, <laughs> anyone who has ever heard the name Hulk Hogan, and tell them to watch the second hour of Nitro tonight so they can see pictures of what he did last night. <laughs> also, if you were calling them, can't you just tell them what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Ray and Dean circle each other before Dean gets Ray with a waist lock that Mysterio reverses into one of his own. Dean works out of it into a wrist lock and a side headlock takeover for a quick one count. An Irish whip sends Ray into the corner and Dean charges, but Ray gets a knee up. Dean stumbles away and Mysterio jumps onto his back for a head scissors. Dean goes for a hip toss, but Ray counters it into a satellite arm drag. With Dean on the outside, Ray runs at him like he's going to dive, but ends up doing the empty net version of a 619 yep. uh, back into the ring for an appreciative pop from the crowd. Dean re-enters the ring and hits Ray with a knee as Tony tells us that Ric Flair is now our new U.S. champion. Oh. And he's going to be putting that title on the line against Jim Powers <laughs> later tonight. I guess the WCW executive committee was really impressed with Powers' dark magic victory over Hugh Morris at last night's pay-per-view. <laughs> That was the one. That was the one match that wasn't even on WCW main event. Oh. It, was, it was completely dark. Wow. <laughs> Dean goes for a suplex, but Ray manages to land on his feet. Ray goes for a cabrada, but Dean catches him midair and tries to run him into the turnbuckles. But Ray slides down Dean's back and pushes him into the corner instead. Ray jumps onto Dean's shoulders and flips down for a sunset flip, but Dean won't go down. Malenko tries to punch Ray, but Ray moves and Malenko sells his hand as Ray gets him with a springboard dropkick off the second rope. Then Mysterio heads to the ring apron and launches himself up to the top rope for a springboard dropkick for a two count. Here, unfortunately, a spot gets blown as they do a wheelbarrow, like the wheelbarrow arm drag kind of thing. Yeah. And Dean seems to try to spin Ray around to his back for maybe like a sunset flip or something, but Ray falls way too far away. He just... I, he's just smaller than the guys Dean's used to working with, so he just flies across the ring. <laughs> Luckily, Dean sees this and quickly covers Ray, which goes a long way towards covering the botch and just making everything still look smooth. Sure. And Ray kicks out it, too. Malenko gets Ray up for a powerbomb, but Ray turns it into an arm drag, and I noticed that in the front row, uh, all the folks that facing us on hard cam, it must be the only wheelchair-accessible part. Yeah. So it is yep. in the front row, like past the barricade, is just... It's like 10 feet away from the wrestlers are just a bunch of old people and a few like younger people in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's just weirdly distracting the whole time because they're right there in the middle of the action and most of them are just old crabby looking people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make sure to have these like possibly injurable people as close to the action as possible. <laughs> Well, it's not like WCW ever goes to the outside of the ring. <laughs> right. Dean finally slows Ray down with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Tony says that we're going to see the Steiners versus the Nasties for the right to face Harlem Heat for the titles at the upcoming Hogwild pay-per-view. Ooh. Dean gets a belly-to-belly -belly for two and locks on a rest hold as we go to commercial. We come back and Dean is still in control. He and Ray are sweating buckets and it's hot and humid here in Florida in July. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Dean launches Ray into the air and lets him crash to the mat. He then hits a tiger driver for a two count. Malenko locks in a camel clutch as Tony plugs a replay of Bash at the Beach that'll be on uh, different pay-per-view and satellite providers tomorrow night. A second chance to see, quote, 
the most disgusting night in the history of our sport. What, the whole night's disgusting now? <laughs> well, you remember that uh, <laughs> sock on a pole match? <laughs> <laughs> Carson City Silver Dollar Man? <laughs> oh, and I suppose that public enemy nasty boys like oh, falls out anywhere that just is like, just never ended. Dean whips Ray off the ropes and tries to knee him in the gut, but Ray is too quick and turns it into a roll-up for two. Tony apologizes to us for his, quote, out-of-line comments that he made last night, <laughs> presumably uh, that Hogan should go straight to hell. <laughs> Larry says that the FCC has a letter coming to Tony, but the FCC only regulates over-the-air broadcast channels and not cable systems, let alone pay-per-view, so this is demonstrably false. <laughs> I'm on to you, Zabisco. <laughs> Dean lifts Ray up and lets him drop, with Ray's torso landing on the top rope. Ray recovers on the outside as the crowd boos, and right around here, I forget the exact contents, but uh, or context, but Larry refers to him as Mysterious Junior. <laughs> so mysterious. <laughs> Malenko uses a few holds to wear Mysterio down. He dumps Ray on the outside and follows him out for a huge brain buster on the outside that Tony and Larry do not acknowledge in any way. <laughs> Tony is instead saying that the WCW offices have never gotten as many calls as they did after last night. A slam from Dean gets a two count. Ray reverses a pump handle slam into a crossbody for his own two. Ray goes for a Frankensteiner to send Dean to the outside, and it works, but it's very slow and very sloppy. Tony wonders if that's going to be a DQ, but for whatever reason, it's not. <laughs> Ray goes for an acai moonsault down to Dean, who's on the floor, but either he's off target or Dean is out of position because Ray almost completely pancakes himself onto the concrete. <laughs> yeah. It looks terrifying. <laughs> and Dean just sells anyway, probably because he's like, if that guy's dead, I better just be lying here. I, I don't know what else to do. Just laying there like, not my fault, not my fault. <laughs> it, it looks awful, but it seems like everyone's okay. By the way, I just want, I mean, I think we've mentioned it before with matches with Rey Mysterio Jr. Just because he's so small. Right. And he doesn't, he just doesn't look like he takes impact very well. Yeah. Like every, anytime he botches or, or messes up, it looks super painful. Yeah, absolutely. Ray is still in control and he gets Dean back into the ring. Ray comes back into the ring with a top rope Frankensteiner for a two count. He gets a split legged moonsault for another two. Ray goes to the top rope again, but this time Malenko catches him and ends up hitting the amazing second rope gut buster that is probably my favorite uh, super gut buster that he ever hits. Oh, this particular one? Yeah, yeah. he just gets Ray so high up in the air, mm -hmm. and it's just so much fun to watch. Dean gets a two count, but breaks his own pin because now it's time to teach this punk a lesson. <laughs> Malenko whips Ray into a corner and then hits a big overhead belly to belly. Dean gets a two count but breaks up his own pin again to good heat from the crowd dean goes for another tilt a world backbreaker but ray out of nowhere turns it into a frankensteiner and holds on for the surprise one two three victory ray mysterio jr is now the wcw cruiserweight champion the third man in history to hold that title after dean malenko and shinjiro otani the crowd goes wild including some weirdo with a genie puppet like from <laughs> aladdin i guess he just got it at disney that day and still hanging out <laughs> he's like i got this puppet and saw title change <laughs> anyway mysterio shares a couple memories in his book about this period uh, i i didn't put him in the last show um even though they could have kind of fit there 
Um, he he talks about this match a little, but he talks about it in kayfabe, so I'm not going to bother with any of that shit. Sure. Um, but he does talk about last night uh, he made his first friend in WCW outside of the Lucha guys who kind of have come in with him, and that was Kevin Nash, who came up to Ray after his Bash at the Beach match and offered to drive him and Conan from the hotel to Nitro the next day, being oh. today. Okay. Uh, he says that they weren't sure if this was just going to end up being a rib or not, but Nash showed up and just chauffeured him around and was like <laughs> a super cool guy. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, another important thing to note that happened last night to Ray Mysterio, uh, Kevin Sullivan called him over to Sullivan's car and offered Ray a full-time contract with WCW, which Ray accepted. Wow, last yeah. night was the best night ever for him. Yeah, he had the he had a good match. He got offered a contract, and he made a buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, as far as this match is concerned, this is one of those like really early memories of Nitro that always stuck with me. Was Rey Mysterio Jr. winning the championship? Yeah. Um, and this is really, I mean, the other two title changes, WWE fans in general just didn't see them either. Right. So this is right. the first time we really got to have a moment in which someone became champion. And I, I mean, even though he's only had a handful of matches, I feel like Rey Mysterio really has kind of earned this opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's an opportunity that he kind of has to prove himself, mm -hmm. but I think, it, I think this is a really good move on behalf of WCW, um, especially if they're bringing in other luchas to face him because his match with psychosis was really good too. Yeah. And just like um, giving luchas the opportunity to kind of like play the big man in a match because yeah. no matter who he's facing, they're the <laughs> right, big man. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, this was a really great moment and and really a, a hell of a way to start off the show, too. Yeah, it was a very good match. Um, Dave Meltzer gave it four and a quarter stars. Or no, yeah, four and a quarter and uh, said that it was the best of the three matches the men have had. Um, there was Great American Bash, there was the night after, and then there was this match. Oh, yeah. yeah um, I, and I I don't remember the... I mean, it's been... You know, we've had kind of a break in between recordings, so it's been a while since I watched those other matches, but I, there's nothing about that that I take issue with immediately. That sounds a reasonable thing to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel like the other two matches were really good. Yeah. There wasn't anything where it's like, oh, yeah, that match was kind of crummy. Again, I think this is a really great way to start off the show. Tony then sends us to Mean Gene, who is in the locker room with the Nasty Boys and... The Steiner Brothers. <laughs> so it's a good thing they got the fans pumped up <laughs> because it's like, it's, it, I mean, honestly, either the Steiners or the Nasty Boys, yeah. it's like trying to understand a different language. Well, and I don't know if uh, the audience at Disney MGM has any way of seeing these backstage segments. I don't, I doubt they can. Yeah, I don't, yeah, because I definitely didn't see any sort of screen or anything right. like that. So, I mean, and since it's live, are the fans just kind of just waiting? That's my impression. Maybe they've got cheerleaders or something or Wildcat Willie out throwing T-shirts. Or just uh, Penzer just like <laughs> talking up the crowd. Because I went to a, a Saturday night taping Yeah. Uh, in two th 99 or 2000 or something like that. So they taped like three weeks worth. Oh, God. Yeah. And uh, that's what he did. He Like between matches when they were kind of waiting, he would just like point out signs and stuff like that. Oh, sure. And because I remember it because he pointed out to my sign that was uh, um, it said, I want to be like Dave. Um, and that was in reference to David Flair. <laughs> oh, wow. You want. Well, I guess you got Stacy Keebler and Daphne. Oh, no, uh, no, that was when he was a Tory Wilson. Oh, okay. and was U.S. champion. Oh, OK. I was I was switching Tory and Stacy in my mind. Yeah, because he pointed out because he thought it was in reference to Dave Penzer. Oh, 
And I said Dave Flair. Then I yeah. got the whole crowd to boo me, which was pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but uh, no, that that was kind of the thing they they would do, and if there was like a delay, so right, that's right. Kind of, I mean, that's what I would guess. Why don't you try asking them to see like what did they do during these nitro since sure. they didn't have a screen, and maybe we'll have an answer next week. All right. Well, we here at home can see uh, these backstage segments. Yep. And unfortunately yeah. for you in podcast land, I'm going to play for you an audio clip of the locker room here. I'm joined by the Nasty Boys along with the Steiner Brothers. Later on in this show tonight, they're going to be locking up the winners, by the way, on August the 10th, the next WCW pay-per-view, Hog Wild. One of these teams will be meeting the Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Team title. Scott? You know me, Gene? I can't agree with the way Harlem Heat won the belts or how they beat us last week when Colonel Parker hit my brother in the head with the cane. But if we had to face the Nasty Boys tonight Get to your see who... Out of his face. Hey, shut up, fat yeah, yeah, I can't say I like the oh, way you guys act. I can't say agree the way you guys look. But I do respect your wrestling ability. You guys have been champion before, so have we. Tonight, we're going to see who the better team is. Hey, hey, I don't care and knobs don't care about your stinking problems with the Harlem Heat. All I care about is me and Nobbs winning that match tonight. And who's going to get that title shot? You been down Nasty Boulevard before. You walked it. You know what it's about. I know you can fight, and we ain't backing down. That ain't an interview out there. It's Nastyville. Hope you're ready, punk. Yeah, keep talking. I'm not your other I don't think it's Nastyville. Come down to the door, pal, and get down where it gets real nasty, boys. You see, my nose is to the ground. I smell them. I smell the heat. I'm coming after you, boys. I got you. Nasty boys, you getting away. It's just something ain't going to be personal. All I know, all I know is they're in for one hell of a match. Because us guys getting together, it's going to be Fourth of July all over again. We respect you. You respect us. Thank you, gentlemen. Why do we get a mess like this? These four men are going to be meeting later on here. When WCW Monday Nitro continues on TNT. So there you go. Scott Steiner doesn't like how Harlem Heat won their belts or how they beat the Steiners last night thanks to the interference of Colonel Robert Parker and his cane. He starts his next sentence while pointing at Sags, and Nobbs tells him to get that finger out of Sags' face. Steiner yells, shut up, fatso, because apparently Scott Steiner has always hated fat people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Steiner says that he doesn't like how the Nasty Boys act or look, but he does respect their wrestling ability. He really shouldn't. <laughs> there's, <laughs> right. There's no need. <laughs> of all the things. Especially because, like, the Steiners are good at wrestling. It's not like it's not <laughs> right. like they're easily impressed. Like, they, you know, they're good. They've been to Japan. Like... <laughs> Sag says that he doesn't care about their problems with Harlem Heat. He only cares about the outcome of tonight's match. The Steiners are headed to Nastyville tonight. <laughs> Rick Steiner does not agree that they are going to Nastyville. Instead, they're going to the dog pound. <laughs> then he says that he has his nose to the ground and he smells the heat. At which point he begins shouting unintelligibly. I have... Not a clue what he started saying. And Mean Gene Okerlund starts biting his lip to keep from laughing. <laughs> this is what happens when you let like these kind of guys loose without yeah. any sort of restraint on what they're <laughs> supposed to be saying. 
Nob starts shouting as Rick growls, and we go to commercial. <laughs> yeah, I, I noted that this was a very, I mean, obviously, if it's about these guy, kind of guys, it's a weird interview as it is, but they, they just couldn't decide if they hate each other or respect each other. Yeah, well, that's what, I mean, it's a natural trouble you run into when you've got face-face, heel-heel stuff going on. Right. Which, that's not, like, this is a face-face match, and there's also a heel-heel tag match on the show. Right. And it's, in both cases, it's very confusing. Yeah. Uh, we get a commercial including blood running cold. Ah, uh, so it's, cold. Y- you may notice that it is no longer, says, coming to WCW <laughs> in July uh, 96. <laughs> now it just goes back to coming to WCW. So we're back. Uh, they must have, I, you know, they must have realized with how hot that angle coming off Ash at the Beach is uh, that it might not be the best time to debut uh <laughs> The guy who's going to do it would it would kind of jar with the NWO yeah, right. a little bit. But but is it Glacier one of their top talents? <laughs> Isn't that what that executive said? That is what he's he said. one of the top talents in our company. After our commercial, Dungeon of Doom's music plays, and out comes Big Bubba and Hugh Morris along with Jimmy Hart. Next out is Lord Stephen Regal and Squire Dave Taylor, accompanied by Jeeves and the Earl of Eaton. Regal has been noticeably underused since losing to Sting way back at the Great American Bash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Walking a Golden Mile, his his book, Regal writes that days after that event, management told him that they really had no idea what to do with him. And boy, does that show. Oh, man. I think the announcers mention at some point that the Blue Bloods have been fighting each other on like one of on Pro or Prime or one of these. Um, they say it's a Saturday morning syndicated show. None of that storyline has bled over to anything that we've seen. Sure. So yeah. apparently there's some sort of trouble amongst the Blue Bloods, but I don't have a fucking clue what it is. Yeah, uh, we've seen them the last few weeks on Nitro, and I have not gotten that hint at all. The crowd chants USA, apparently deciding that some weirdo Satan worshippers or whatever are preferable to a couple of guys from England who <laughs> think that they're better than you. <laughs> it It... Tickles me to no end that the Dungeon of Doom get the USA chant on their side in this right. match. It's yeah. fucking hilarious. <laughs> they want to like presumably like open a gate to hell so demons can come in and like eat our souls, but at least they're from America. Right. Didn't didn't <laughs> we agree that like the gates of fate are in like Daytona Beach, I believe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because first I was like, oh, the Dungeon of Doom, that might not be in America. Oh, no, that's right. Daytona Beach. That's correct. Well, prepare your own USA chance, because here to call all the action for us is a man who definitely thinks that he's better than you, <laughs> Dave Amantor. Yeah, poor Earl Robert Ian. He's wearing a suit, like, in this weather. Oh, it's God, just, yeah. I mean, I know I respect the fact that, that that's, like, their their thing is to be a suit and look dignified and everything right. when they're not wrestling, but he has got to be suffering from, like, moment one that he comes yeah. out there. We get a lot of pacing back and forth before we start the contest uh, with Squire David Taylor squaring off against... Hugh Morris. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we have a collar double tie-up, and Hugh Morris shoves Taylor into the corner before laughing because it's humorous. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> Another uh, tie-up, and the two come off the ropes until Taylor hits a beautiful drop kick from which he springs up and immediately poses. That gave Hugh Morris the chance to clothesline Taylor, who tags in his lordship. For their credit, Morris and Bubba have the fans firmly on their side, and they're they're they can't help it. They're kind of playing it up. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, if you're gonna get the face reaction and you're facing another heel team, 
just be the faces for the next 10 minutes. Right. It's not like anything you can't just switch back on a fu- future Nitro. Right. And so Big Bubba is now in, and he's sporting, like, the beginnings of a beard now because he used to just have the, the goatee. Right. So, yep. Uh, I don't know if that means it's going to get shaved again or, or what that's going to lead to, but hopefully that feud's over. Hopefully. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but Big Bubba. I, I doubt we'll be seeing any more of old John Tenta. <laughs> that's the last we'll see of him. Big Bubba uh, is in the ring now, and it gets Regal into a headlock. Regal backs Bubba into the ropes, and he and Taylor uh, double-team Bubba with forearm shivers and kicks to the back. He backed him into his corner. Right. Now, Regal- somewhere around here uh, is where I believe Larry talks about the the fight, the infighting with the Blue Bloods. Okay. And he says that apparently part of the problem is that uh, Robert Eaton, being from like Alabama or wherever he's from and not originally from England, yeah. he doesn't know how to treat a butler correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says something like, you know, butlers are there to, like, do your bidding and do whatever you need. And then he says, of course, in America, we have another term for that. It's wives. <laughs> wives. Yeah. Wives, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wives. Just terrible. And Tony Tony doesn't even really admonish him except to say that you're going to get us all in trouble. Right. He doesn't say, like, well, that's a shitty thing to say. He's <laughs> like, well, yeah, of course it's wives, but, like, don't say it. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> so the blue bloods are double teaming on Bubba and Regal eventually drops Big Bubba to the mat for a two count. At this point I noticed that the uh bottom of Big Bubba's pants tore away from his boot because I think he's wearing like pleather pants and he might be wearing the same ones for a long time. Yeah. But oh, I de- would suspect. But he he definitely loses a portion of the bottom of his pants. And that portion stays in the middle of the ring for a little while before the referee <laughs> decides to get rid of it. At some point, uh, the announcers claim that Bubba moves like Rey Mysterio. And I just wanted to, like, get a time machine and an airplane and go to Florida and punch them. <laughs> he's a he's a good moving big man, but right. he does not move like Rey Mysterio. <laughs> right. Regal comes off the ropes and Bubba hits a big sidewalk slam. His cover is broken up, however, by Squire David Taylor, and the two men quickly tag in their respective partners. As Taylor unloads with European uppercuts, John Tenta jogs down to the ring, and he pulls Big Bubba off the apron. God Because, damn it. of course, this feud will never end. Explain and to me how... Uh, David, I mean you. I mean, you explain to me. Okay. All right, so these guys feud. They've got multiple matches against each other. Mm-hmm. Tenta, I believe, wins all of them? I think he sometimes gets laid out afterward, but I think he actually wins all the matches. Yeah. Then at Great American Bash, they have a like 10 minute Carson City Silver Dollar match, which Tenta wins. He gets the best of uh, Bubba's manager and he knocks Bubba out cold in the middle of the ring and puts coins over his eyes as if to send him off to the land of the dead. <laughs> what on earth makes anyone think that this feud should continue? Every, that's a, that's as a final a final of a victory you could possibly get. There's nowhere for this to go that's going to be more satisfying for the for the people out there that really care about John Tenta versus Big Bubba. Right. And I won't make some joke about how there's nobody. I'm sure there's people at the time that yeah. were invested in this feud. Mm-hmm. There's no way that it can more satisfactorily end for those people. Right. Exactly. It's ridiculous. The only thing I can think of is that that the people that are doing the booking just are not really paying attention that much to the feud as they're booking it. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, it could be that they're just so t- 
top heavy in what they care about right now that yeah. like this is just you know uh, a total afterthought but but uh i i am completely over this feud <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I, I i i can't explain i mean with the way that it went down the night before it just it's completely baffling that they're continuing this What's even more baffling is John Tenta pulls Big Baba off the apron and they brawl to the back and the referee does not disqualify anyone, <laughs> yeah. even though he clearly sees this happening. Yep. While that's happening, Regal and Taylor hit a tandem backdrop onto Hugh Morris and Taylor covers him for the win. So this match from the beginning didn't make sense yeah. and the ending made even less sense. Yeah, and now they piss off the tourists because they're getting uh boos and USA chants at the end, which hey, you know, the baby faces aren't going to win every single one, but noticeably the crowd is not pleased with how this one <laughs> went. <laughs> and also there really actually wasn't any ba- baby faces in the match, so Yeah, that's true. I don't know yeah, what what you could And that's that's another thing. I sometimes I feel like the, the WW like whoever is doing the booking for some of the, the lower matches yeah, just is not taking into consideration. Kevin Sullivan would be who that is, okay. by the way. So then Kevin Sullivan, I feel like for some of the lower matches does not take into consideration. If I put the heels in the ring together, who are the fans going to get behind? Right. Um, in, in which case it's like, if they don't know, they'll go with the ones that are most American. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it, it, which mean, it's, it's, you're in Florida guys. Like, <laughs> Right. But I mean, a big part of wrestling has always been like jingoism and and patriotism. And you're absolutely right that a crowd is almost always going to default to uh, the person that reminds them the most of themselves. The person, you know, that's just human nature in a a way is um, to embrace that tribalism. So, yeah, if absolutely two heels, it's going to be whichever one reminds me of me. And that's (laughs) that's Hugh Morris more than it is Lord Stephen Regal. <laughs> or or really like Big Bubba. I think there's a lot of Big Bubba kind of guys hanging around Florida. Right. Yeah. Or or <laughs> I mean especially when we get to Hog Wild. Oh, sure. I mean, he's He's a, a full-fledged baby face, I would assume. I yeah. mean, we'll see, but Yeah, I mean, that's and that's something else. I mean, as we get closer to Hog Wild, we yeah. have, we have to consider like who they're going to have wrestle and what are the fa- how the fans going to react to them because yeah. it's a very particular group of people that are going to be at this show if i were him and i was worried that i was going to get uh cheered at hog wild i would just come out on like a ducati or a suzuki or a honda <laughs> you would oh i hope yeah. someone does that i haven't watched that event yet but i hope someone comes out on a japanese bike yeah because that... they are going to get met they get stabbed <laughs> yes uh anyway we're headed to commercial and we're told that psychosis is going to make his nitro debut next After that commercial, we see the Mickey Mouse water tower as the sun has set and it's now getting dark. Eddie Guerrero is in the ring along with Psychosis and the bell rings, so we are off to the races. Probably a good time to mention that this is Eddie's uh, second match back after spending several months in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, we last saw him in a victory over the Barbarian back on June 24th that you may remember as the match where, for whatever reason, the crowd decided Barbarian was the babyface. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we have not seen uh, Eddie since then. Of course, that's only you know a few weeks ago in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we're at. And uh, we've seen two Psychosis matches. We've seen him at um, Clash of the Champions, and we've seen him at... Uh, bash the beach but this is his first time on nitro uh and here to call all the action is our own dave amantor all right 
And like uh, Tim said, this is immediately after commercial break in which we return and both men get the jobber entrance in this one. So it's any jobber's match now. <laughs> and now uh, I noticed that once he's fa like face to face with Eddie Guerrero, we can finally see just how big psychosis is. And the answer is very big. Yeah. <laughs> he, I, I swear at some point someone else's psychosis later on down the road because I do not remember him being like this giant of a Lucha Libre guy. We start off with a collar knuckle tie-up, and Eddie Guerrero gets an early advantage with a headlock. While Psychosis and Eddie Guerrero exchange takedowns, we get a split screen, and the split screen has Rey Mysterio Jr. sounding like the saddest child in the world because Hulk Hogan betrayed us. <laughs> yep. I. It's honestly, it's like, it's a, it's over the top how sad he sounds, <laughs> which is ridiculous because. He, if if you're like watching this in order, he just won the cruiserweight title. Right. I mean, obviously they recorded this beforehand, but when they put it afterwards, it's just it it's very poor timing. Yeah. Well, they also screw up part of the the technical side too because it's like muted at the beginning and you don't hear him. Yeah. So by the time you start hearing the audio, I was like, what the what the fuck is he talking about? Right. And then eventually he says something about learning who the third man was, and I was like, oh okay. Yeah. But I was so baffled at first. <laughs> Right. What the fuck he was all mopey about. <laughs> right. Um, as the uh, as the strange promo ends, which only is, you know, 15 or 20 seconds, something like that. Just yeah. a quick little thing just to remind people that Hulk Hogan betrayed WCW. Um, as that ends, we have Eddie Guerrero with a crucifix pin that gets only a two count. The two men trade off a flurry of high-flying maneuvers, including a monkey flip, which Eddie uh, is able to land on his feet from that, which yeah. is pretty impressive. Yeah, that is fun to watch. Eventually, an arm drag sends Psychosis to the outside, but not before he crotches himself on the bottom rope, and it looks like it really hurt him, too. <laughs> As uh, Psychosis is kind of, like, reeling on the outside, Eddie climbs to the top, attempting to do his awesome plancha to the floor, but Psychosis, all, he just simply backs up, and that seems like a really kind of veteran move. He, yeah, just, yeah. he just gets a little bit of distance, so he's not able to do it. Right. So Eddie drops back into the ring and waits for a psychosis to re-enter, where a second collar and elbow tie-up leads to a second headlock by Eddie Guerrero. Some gamesmanship as the two men take turns pulling each other's hair, which wasn't nearly as girly as the sentence just made it out to be. <laughs> Tony makes a good point here about how wrestling in the humidity can affect the men's performance and change the way you like, kind of approach the match. Mm -hmm. And Larry just says, no, it doesn't. Sweaty wrestlers sweat. <laughs> But then he goes on to talk about how much quicker you sweat in the humidity and how much more slippery it makes you. So he his instinct is to immediately disagree with Tony, right. then say something stupid that makes no sense, right. and then agree with Tony. Right. It's a, it's a real amazing 25 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> After the exchange of hair pulling, Eddie is tossing the ropes, and Psychosis manages to dispatch his opponent through the ropes and onto the floor. Psychosis then goes to the top rope, to the top, very top, and hits a corkscrew moonsault onto Eddie Guerrero onto the floor, which it's a camera. It's a camera that's on the floor right behind Eddie Guerrero, so you can get the full idea of how far down that is. And holy shit, yeah, <laughs> it looks like it's super painful and psychosis. One of my favorite like things is like when wrestlers sometimes do the convulsing. Oh sure, and psychosis, yeah. so he's convulsing. Yeah, and uh, Eddie Eddie Guerrero saves his life. On this mat and this move, yeah, because he has to take a big sidestep in order to catch psychosis. Yep, but he does, and he does it just in time. Mm -hmm. And if he hadn't, that would not have ended well for old psychosis. <laughs> right. Um, 
and the majority of Psychosis's body landed on top of Eddie Guerrero's shoulder. And when we get back into the ring, Psychosis focuses his attack on that particular part. Now, I don't know if I would imagine that they have improvised that because he landed at Eddie Guerrero's shoulder. I don't think the plan was to have that be an injury as a result. Sure. But Eddie Guerrero immediately is selling his shoulder. Right. And Psychosis sees that and he takes advantage of it. And it's just like, it's just a great example of like two real like veterans in the ring, like going with what they have. Right. And it seems so natural. Your instinct is to think like they planned it, but I, I would, I would think that they probably improvised that, but, um, but, uh, psychosis, he's starting to throw in all these different moves that go after his shoulder and eventually slaps on a cross arm breaker. While he continues the assault on Eddie's arm, Tony announces that Hulk Hogan will be on Nitro next week (laughs) to explain his actions at Bash of the Beach. Can you imagine, Dave, one day removed from turning heel in the best thing that could get this company some major attention and a lot of eyeballs Mm -hmm. on their product, and he's not on the show the next night? He's not on at all. That's... It's shocking. Wow. It, twenty now we're at twenty one years. Twenty one years later, that's still shocking that they didn't. That, I mean, I understand eventually, like the reason why he wasn't there, right? But still, if you're going to have this event happen, you need to have the 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 time to follow it up properly. Yeah, it's it's absolutely baffling. It's the reason. Dave kind of alluded to there. He had to go back to Hollywood to continue filming Overlords, uh, which it was in the middle of production, but he agreed to come to Bash at the Beach and turn heel. Um, Unfortunately, he I guess they couldn't, you know, push shooting back another day to allow him, I guess, to just, you know, do a spot on Nitro, even a fucking pre-tape or something. Right. Um, But anyway, yeah, he's he's not on the show. He's back filming Overlords, a movie I would like to remind you that never actually gets released. Yeah. So it was all for nothing. Right. (laughs) And and. So that's a little bit of a spoiler for the rest of the show. There's not even a pre-tape promo from yeah, Hogan, which nothing. seems like the simplest solution to this problem, but they instead they have nothing. It's also kind of funny because they a little later they'll sort of tease that maybe Hogan's there because they want you to hang on and see if he is. Right. But they've already, by telling you, the going out of their way to tell you that he'll be on to talk next week, mm-hmm. they've already shown their hand. Right. There's no way to convince you. Like, yeah. if, if I'm back in this period, I might think about looking over and seeing what's on Raw, you know, at this point. Yeah. I, I also want to highlight a little bit of commentary that actually comes before that because it's just a Tony line that, that cracked me up. He's he's listing the reasons uh, why WCW is so exciting and why you would want to make sure to watch it. Okay. And the first two on his list are unexpected occurrences uh-huh. and things happening that you don't expect. Those are that's the same two things, Tony. <laughs> right. <laughs> was there anything after that on the list? Uh, there were, and they were all like legit, n- not funny. They were just fine things. Oh, that okay. was like okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just unexpected occurrences, things that you don't expect. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. Uh, where was I? Okay, Hogan's not here. Uh, Psychosis has an arm breaker. He breaks the arm breaker. It's another one of those kind of weird things in WCW where wrestlers will just give up on moves yep. if they don't submit. Still, it's strange to me, but whatever. Uh, Psychosis whips Eddie off the ropes and tries for a pop-up powerbomb, but Eddie Guerrero counters with a Huracrana into a pin attempt a la Rey Mysterio. So he's kind of bogarting Rey Mysterio's move. Eddie, however, only gets a two count. 
Psychosis comes off the top turnbuckle. Wait, he's on the top turnbuckle now? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so Sounds like a thing you do. <laughs> right. He comes off the top turnbuckle for a double axe-handled smash, but Eddie Guerrero uses his own momentum to hit the mother of all atomic drops. Okay, yeah. now now I got that pictured. Yeah. <laughs> and considering if if we're playing along with the fact that he already hurt his dick earlier. <laughs> yeah. Psychosis is like his his, his dick's uh, energy level is pretty low now. Eddie whips Psychosis in the corner, but he moves as Guerrero uses, goes shoulder first into the ring post, again playing off the shoulder injury. Psychosis then puts Eddie on the top turnbuckle and hits a Hurricanrana for a two count. Angry he didn't get a three, Psychosis goes to the top for a moonsault, but Eddie Guerrero scurries after him. However, this backfires as Psychosis hits a sit-down powerbomb for two. Psychosis goes to the top rope again, and again Eddie scurries after him. However, this time Eddie Guerrero is successful in stopping Psychosis' offensive and hits a big superplex. Eddie Guerrero then is going to the top for a frog splash as Psychosis is very obviously shifting into the way so he makes sure he gets nailed by the frog splash. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, of course, he hits it and Eddie Guerrero gets the victory. Uh, I also wanted to point out that right away after he got the win, the ref tries to uh, hold his hand up in victory, but Eddie Guerrero, again, is sh- selling his uh, hurt shoulder. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, don't do not do that. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, again, it's like, Eddie Guerrero's only on the show occasionally, but he is one of the top like uh, in-ring psychology wrestlers in WCW right now. As far as like, if there's an injury, it's injured. It's going to stay injured until the end of the match. Like, and the no- crowd uh, is very much behind him. He he gets Eddie chance at quite a few places during this match, and this mm-hmm. is amongst a group of fans that contains, I'm sure, some regular WCW fans, right. but a lot of people who are just tourists who are there to see a show. So the fact that he got some Eddie chance, I think, is doubly impressive mm-hmm. given the audience that they're performing in front of. Right. Yeah. So I thought I thought this was a it was a pretty good match. I just like the the idea that Psychosis uh, kind of mess up that move on the outside, but that they played it off in, as part of the story going right. forward. I thought that that was really brilliant, and uh, I didn't really think much of Psychosis back in the day, sure. but just seeing his his few matches, I I like his. Uh, I mean, because like I was saying earlier, like the Lucha is playing as a big man. He's like playing as a big man. And not only that, he has a total disregard for if he fucks up a move Oh, or not. God. He he lives. Yeah. Psychosis is he lives up to that name, like without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's high on the level of like guys who just throw caution to the wind. Yeah. And do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And I can't believe I think I mentioned this in a past episode that he still occasionally performs. And I, like I can't imagine how he's walking, let alone doing a match. Right. I mean, I still I mean, the the move from the night before when he came off the top and did like the 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 back. sent on to the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like tailbone first. Yeah. I was like, how is he not like <laughs> paralyzed from it's that? An, it's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I'm. Psychosis is starting to grow on me. I hope they have him. Even if he's not winning, yeah. I like having him in there because he also just kind of has this like nasty attitude where it's like he, he's just going to take advantage of uh, injuries and and like use the ropes and cheat when he can. Uh, he's a he's a good, he's just, he's a good villain for some of the the favorite luchadors to play off of. So absolutely, and I agree. This match was good. I question its placement a little bit because. Now you've had this match and the cruiserweight match in the first hour, mm-hmm. and the crowd really dies in the second hour. Yeah, and I think part of it is like 
you've loaded the front half with holy shit matches. Yeah. Um, and maybe I would have just shoved this one back into the second half a little bit mm-hmm. uh, to preserve the crowd. But um, I had, but that's not a knock against the match itself. The match itself is good. Yeah. Uh, and I, I liked it a lot. The booking is so it's, it's like, it's weird because we're going from luchador matches to big man tag luchador match. Yeah. Big man tag. again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and luchador match to heel on heel, big man tag luchador yeah. match heel on heel or excuse me baby face on baby face big man matt like tag. yeah very strange it's just like it's something where if you just looked at it on paper you'd be like i think we should rearrange this just a little bit yeah it seemed like that would be a good idea i don't know if there's like if there's still some sort of uh you know like honor thing as far as like the big names get to be later on in the show right so the luchador can't be on like the second hour if that's like for a bigger name or something like that i don't know you'd think uh you know if you're not main eventing i think you'd want to be earlier on the card because it's earlier you can shower up and get back to your hotel yeah. or the bar <laughs> for right. most of these guys no because i think isn't that like a dusty roads thing where you said like you either want to be the first match or right. the last match yeah i uh, think i think that's the attitude a lot of the guys have mm-hmm. We then yeah. go to the aisle where Gene is with the Taskmaster, the Giant, and Jimmy Hart. You know, Gene Okerlund, you were as shocked and appalled as anyone. You've been very close to Hulk Hogan throughout your career as to what happened last night. With that, Gene, let's go to you. All right, Tony, I thank you very much. And indeed, I was very close with Hulk Hogan for many, many years. However, last night, as big a surprise to me as anybody. Joining me, WCW heavyweight champ, the Giant. The Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, still shaking his head. Jimmy Hart, you managed this man, Hogan, for three years. I mean, you were in Thunder in Paradise, all of the movies. You were at the hospitals. I mean, you did everything with the guy. What, what, what do you make of his move last night, joining in with these outsiders? You know me, Gene? You've known me for a long time. This is the first time in my life that I've really been lost for words, and I really have no comment, Kevin. Seems to be a very popular phrase with politicians these days. No comment. I know that's not the case for you, Kevin Sullivan. You know, Gene, sometimes when you live for the destruction and demise of something like Jimmy and I did, we lived for a year and a half for the demise of Hulkamania, and he plucked it away from us. He destroyed it himself. All the karma that I have done in my life all the evil has now come back upon me. Every time I look in the mirror, I see Chris Benoit. And what I see in the mirror is a madman. And Gene, this new world order, Jimmy. We're taking a look, by the way, at some of the footage involving that right now, Kevin. You know, Gene, it's like Kevin said, there's a new world order coming, and you could be out of a job. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to be talking about it. Before everybody goes and loses their composure, one thing you got to remember is, as long as I have this, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship belt, nothing in WCW can go wrong. If you people remember, I'm the one that took this belt from Hulk Hogan last October at Halloween Havoc. Don't worry about what Hogan did. And as far as the four horsemen go, you call yourselves the elite. Last night, you look at the Taskmaster's face. You guys won the battle, but you didn't win the war. Because right now, tonight, I don't have to wrestle. (laughs) Thank you very much, gentlemen. Who said I was going to be out of work? 
Do you know anything about that? Stay tuned. More WCW Monday Nitro when we come back here on TNT. Gene asked Hart for his thoughts on Hulk Hogan's actions last night. A very subdued, like more subdued than you've ever seen him before. Yeah. Jimmy Hart says that he simply has no words. Sullivan says sometimes that when you live for the destruction of something, like he lived for the end of Hulkamania, you end up seeing it destroyed by the person themselves. He says that all the karma for all the evil he's done in his life is now haunting him in the form of the madman, Chris Benoit. <laughs> As stills are shown of Arn and uh, Benoit versus, the Sullivan, versus Sullivan and Giant from last night, Hart says that the New World Order is coming and Gene could be out of a job, which angers Okerlund and does seem like really unnecessary. <laughs> right. I, I really like that line that yeah. Kevin Sullivan had about like, you, 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 you like hate something long enough you might witness it destroy itself instead i agree but, i wish he would have stuck with it a little bit more i thought that was like a really good sentiment and he just kind of says it and then immediately pivots to benoit right i would have liked to have heard more kind of down that line of thought because i thought it was a very interesting place for him to go yeah and and i almost think that's something that kevin sullivan could have run with for a little bit the fact that like he wanted to destroy hulkamania and now maybe he's a little bit lost because he didn't get to destroy hulkamania Hogan right. did it himself I, I think it would have been an interesting angle, but like you said, you know, he just is like, he uses it as a way to segue back to Benoit, which, uh, you know, that's another feud that kind of feels like it should have already been over, but it's still going on because, like, the, the Great American Bash match that falls count anywhere, that felt yeah. like another sort of finality, but it's still continuing. Yep. The Giant admonishes everyone for arguing to remind them that he's the WCW champion, and as long as that's the case, nothing can go wrong. Yeah, that... <laughs> it's it's kind of a de facto babyface bit of promo, because, you know, Hogan's now definitely a bad guy, and he's saying, like, relax, who cares what Hogan's doing or who he's with? No one can beat me, so we're fine. Yeah, I, I also thought it was sort of like... um. Like in a horror movie where it's just like, oh. where it's like, as lo hey, it, as long as I'm champion, yeah. nothing could go wrong. So you're thinking like, oh, <laughs> next next episode, he's going to be losing that belt. You guys, <laughs> it's safe to let our guard down, even for a second. <laughs> right. We interrupt this sound file to bring you a terrifying announcement. A non-metallic being has been sighted in the vicinity of Makeout Point. Say, Wendy. Your chassis is a little scuffed. Mind if I polish it for you? Did you hear that, Rusty? It sounded like a human. Relax, Wendy. Humans will never come to our defenseless little town. It's perfectly safe to let our guard down, even for a second. He kind of loses the babyface feel at the end when he celebrates uh, the fact that his win in that tag match last night means that he doesn't have to wrestle tonight. Yeah. Uh, it's always a heel thing when you're glad you don't have to defend your belt. Uh, also, during that promo, just before we skip over it, uh, Sullivan's got big fake bruises on his face yeah. to sell, which it worked after the uh, street fight at Great American Bash. They did the same thing, and it worked then mm -hmm. uh, because that match was so brutal. Last night's match wasn't exceptionally brutal, yeah. and because there were more brutal matches like, um, well, like... Bubba supposedly getting hit in the face with a sock full of silver dollars right. or the Nasty Boys um, public enemy uh, dog collar match. Or like, it's silly that only one match would leave bruising yeah. on the guy's faces. It's just, it's it's too much. Yeah, it's it's pretty, yeah. 
and would, and when you see Benoit later, it's just yeah, he's also got <laughs> fake bruises, and I think I think this is Sullivan trying to make it look like a shoot. I think that he's like. I think his idea, and I don't want to, I guess, uh, put words in his mouth, but I could see his idea, knowing his thinking, Mm -hmm. I could see him thinking, if only we have bruises, the audience is going to think these two guys are really punching each other. Yeah. Like, that's why they're the only ones with bruises, is because they're using their matches as an excuse to just potato each other. So, I that might be the logic behind it is yeah. that they're trying to stand out as a quote shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, because he certainly will take a lot of elements of their feud and make things that are work seem like a shoot, make things that are shoots look like a work. And yeah, he uh, he really let uh Brian Pillman get in his head, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> it's he, it's, he's like, wait, if he did those things <laughs> and if I do those things. The Nasty Boys are out to their horrible theme song, <laughs> followed by the Steiner Brothers uh, to their cheesy but fun theme song. <laughs> Larry and Tony hype. Larry and Tony hype Hog Wild, and Larry says that he had a sweet Harley, but he kept falling off of it, so he sold it and bought an airplane instead. <laughs> he says it's much. Sh- <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's. He's not exaggerating on any of that <laughs> statement. <laughs> He literally, he said he kept falling off of it. Yeah. Like, like you're riding down the road and you just like fall off <laughs> or like you don't, you can't get on it. You like, take a curve too fast, I guess, it probably. Just, just falls and, off. I don't know. I don't, I've never read, uh, well, I've ridden on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> just. And what, for what, the record, because that sounds really weird to say as an adult man, my stepdad had motorcycles. So I was a kid. <laughs> it's not like I have buddies and I hop on the back of their motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> But he bought an airplane. (laughs) Larry says that it's much safer to fly, but Tony points out that it's much more dangerous to fall off of an airplane, (laughs) which is even more ridiculous. (laughs) I guess he thinks that Tony or that Larry stands on top of his airplane and then a pilot flies it around and Larry has to try not to fall off in midair. I keep flying my airplane, but I keep falling (laughs) off of it. (laughs) Scott Steiner and Jerry Sags start off the match, and they lock up, and Sags hits some elbows. He tags in Brian Knobs, and they double-team Scott Steiner with some punches. Sags comes back in quickly, and they get a double shoulder tackle for a two-count. By the way, they also mentioned the countdown to hour two as yeah. well, which uh, Tony says is setting the standard for our sport. <laughs> The countdown or hour two? Hour two. I think it's one of the. I think it's like a dangling modifier where he, it, you know, you could take it to mean either one. Right. <laughs> this countdown is setting a new standard for time elapsing. But I mean, they always he always like uh, um over like oversells hour two. Oh yeah. But so what's hour one then? Right. <laughs> they they yeah. don't. They don't. They're always like you know, hour one's here, but just wait till hour yeah. two. You know, that's that's. That's when it really gets exciting. Yeah. When you get sick of watching a few stellar luchador matches, <laughs> you can finally get around to seeing this horse shit. <laughs> and more, like, anticipation of photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Steiner takes over and hits a butterfly suplex. Rick comes in to take out Knobs, and they do their barking pose thing that they love to do. Yep. Knobs gets tagged in as Larry says that the Nasty Boys are not a banquet for the eyeballs. Yeah. And I agree with Larry. <laughs> but they are an effective tag team unit. 
Nobbs taunts Rick Steiner, who comes in, which distracts Nick Patrick, which leads to nothing. The Nasty Boys don't try to follow up. There's no cheating. It's complete. Just taunt the babyface. Babyface comes to the ring. The ref gets him out, but nothing comes of it. <laughs> if they, like, forgot the last part of how that works, I guess. <laughs> Scott ends up tagging in Rick, who locks up with Nobbs, but gets overpowered, and in comes Jerry Sags with a corner splash. Brian Nobbs comes back in for his own corner splash, this time assisted by a whip from Sags. Steiner gets back into things with a power slam and an elbow drop for two. A Rick Steiner chin lock is interrupted by Sags, and he's ejected by. And as he's ejected by Nick Patrick, Scott Steiner tags in. Patrick did not see this, but he's going to allow it. <laughs> Scott works over Nobbs in a corner as our little dynamite stick begins the 60 second countdown for hour number two. <laughs> I'm ready for the standard to be set <laughs> in 60 seconds. Scott hits a suplex, but Nobbs avoids a Frankensteiner and hits a face buster. In comes Sags, who dumps Scott to the outside and steals a kid's chair and waffles Scott with it <laughs> as Nick Patrick is distracted by presumably Rick Steiner. We don't, we don't right. really see. <laughs> or he just watches. Yeah, I mean, it's very at- plausible. <laughs> the countdown ends and some very weak pyro goes off as Bischoff takes over announced duties alongside Bobby Heenan. A belly-to-belly on knobs from Scott gets a two-count. In comes Sags with punch, punch, punch. As Eric and Bobby discussed last night, Scott hits another belly-to-belly, and the entire crowd on the hard camera is looking off to the right at something. Turns out it's Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry, who are animatedly discussing something in the aisleway. Sherry runs to the ring and jumps on the apron, distracting Patrick. Parker uses his cane to nail Sags, and Steiner pins him. It seems like maybe it was an accident and he was trying to take out the Steiners because they're the bigger threat to Harlem Heat, but he mm-hmm. accidentally hit uh sags yeah the this finish is like it's really missed because they have a really bad camera angle yeah and you can't really tell what the what the sequence was because like you don't even really see sags get hit you just see him on the on the mat and also the announcers are still talking about last night they're not really giving you like the the play-by-play on this so it just suddenly the match is over and and you're like wait they helped the steiners that doesn't make sense Uh, yeah it's very strange the Steiners pick up the tainted win, earning them a title shot at Hog Wild. We get fireworks blasting off, and Eric Bischoff apologizes for missing last night. Uh, you'll remember, listeners, the major storyline at Bash of the Beach, it, Bischoff missing. Mm-hmm. It was a huge deal. The announcers were very concerned about it. Uh, but he kind of brushes it off with by just saying it was really no big deal. Uh, and we'll, right. we'll come back to it a little bit. Uh, later in the show but not a ton that's about <laughs> all that we we really get out of him right about it. uh with that we head to the ring where gene okerland is with the nasty boys uh, you know it, it, it's such a i hate to use the word bittersweet but i mean that's really what we've got here today we've got fireworks we're at disney mgm studios i mean this is historic in and of itself this presentation of nitro outside but you know it is so overshadowed in so many ways by by everything that transpired last night. And, you know, I, I talked to the people. First of all, I want to apologize. I was not able to do the main event last night. Many Everybody you, was really concerned where you were. Well, it was really, it's no big deal. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's go now to Mean Gene Okerlund. Eric Bischoff, I did not sleep well at all last night because of what you were referring to. These gentlemen have got some other things to talk about. Jerry Sags, I'm going to get to you in a moment. You took a horrible whack over the head. But what about this tag team situation? All of a sudden, Life uh, as is wrestling. 
is all about attitude. And ours has always been nasty. The big man, the big man, along with that stinking cane, just sent a lightning bolt right through my stinking head with a big message, a big message that says, change is inevitable. We've got to change. Hey, street fight, put the nasty boys in there. You got it. Chain match, I almost broke my stinking neck. Lex Luger and Sting come down here? No way, they got 90 referees. All I'm gonna say is, it'll be a cold day in hell before the nasty boys. That ever happens again. Brian Nobbs. Don't take the microphone away from him until he's finished talking. Fine, he's finished talking. Let me tell you something. We don't condone what Hulk Hogan did it was even a shock to us. But you know what? I don't see nothing wrong in what he did either. What are you talking about? You've got to be out of your mind. We're all in this thing together here, nasty boys. You're all in this thing together. It seems like the new world order does whatever they want, whatever they want to do it, just like the nasty boys used to do. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The Nasty Boys certainly have their cross to bear here at World Championship Wrestling. We're live from Orlando and Disney MGM. Stay tuned as Nitro continues here on TNT. Jerry Sags uh, talks first, and from what I've kind of gathered reading uh, about this this night, he actually did get a little uh, his bell rung by the old cane shot to the head, oh. which might explain why he's worse than usual on the mic here. Uh, he starts off okay. He says that, to him, life and wrestling are all about attitude, and theirs has always been nasty. God, along with Colonel Robert Parker, has apparently sent the nasties a message that says change is, quote, inevitable. <laughs> By the way, fireworks are still going off as they're talking. Yeah. <laughs> he then trails off uh, and says something very weird about Luger and Sting coming out with a bunch of referees. Any idea what the fuck he's talking oh, about? Oh, I mean, because he was also saying, I, I think it's in reference to um, that 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 triple threat match in which all the cops came out. Oh, okay. Because I, he was talking about how they, they've been on, like, kind of the losing end of matches recently. Okay. And I think that's what he was referring to. But maybe, he, you know, since he had... Were, his, they were in that match? It was Harlem Heat, Sting and Luger in the Nasties? Wasn't it? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Because I know it was a three-way... Well, the way he phrases it leaves a lot to be desired. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thrown off about like the God talk from Jerry Sags. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. God is. After that, I was just maybe I just really wasn't understanding it. But. Yeah, basically, he's sort of hinting that they may need to turn full on heel. Uh, God, God has shown him it might be time for a change in their attitude. Mm-hmm. And Nobbs kind of doesn't back away from that because when Nobbs gets on the mic, he says that they don't condone what Hogan did. But he doesn't see anything wrong with it either. He says the New World Order do whatever they want, whenever they want, just like the Nasties used to do. So it seems like the Nasties are heavily hinting that they're going to go heel and join up with the New World Order. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that aspect of the um, of the promo, the, the idea where they're like, 
you know, they lost another match, and but they're and they're kind of having like a, a existential a, crisis. Yeah, exactly. And and they're looking at the guys that are that are succeeding, and they're like, they're succeeding because they did stuff that the Nasty Boys used to do, and that they need to get back to that. Right. And and like you said, I I also got that implication that they're like maybe New World Order is the way to go because they're the ones that are getting to do what they want when they want. So And it sort of ties in, um, I forget if it's in the earlier promo where they've got a little mic time or if it's in this promo. There's a moment on tonight's show where they mention something about how even we were surprised by what Hogan did. And I think the implication there is even we as known backstage associates of Hulk Hogan's. Oh, sure. So I think they're sort of they're sort of winking at you like, hey, we're yeah. buddies with Hogan, and now this part of the promo that's more blatantly, we might need to join up with him. Right. It kind of, it all kind of cohe- uh, coheres together. That's not a word. <laughs> sure, it coheres. That's that's the one. It coheres <laughs> into a into a, a you know a logical storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, we go to commercial, and as we come back, holy shit, fireworks are still going off. Right. Presumably, <laughs> they didn't the whole commercial break, but who knows. <laughs> Uh, and by, as, by the way, you said earlier that they were blasting. Yeah, and I think that's kind of overstating it. it. It's kind of like when you go over to like your neighbor's house and they have a whole lot of fireworks. <laughs> like it, the quality of these fireworks, there's a lot of them. Yeah, but they're like pretty weak. I thought they were okay, but maybe I was just wanting to dream, <laughs> daring to dream. And also, they're going off regardless of what's happening. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, as we return, outruns Jim Powers, who has two previous Nitro appearances, uh, getting laid out before his debut tag match against the Four Horsemen, uh-huh. and losing to DDP. <laughs> uh, that, along with his dark match victory, dark match victory that I alluded to earlier, apparently has got him a U.S. title shot. Uh, as Ric Flair comes out, the crowd woos, so there are some real fans amongst the tourists. Flair comes out with Woman, Liz, and Deborah McMichael. Eric tells us that he was absent last night simply due to meetings with the WCW executive committee that ran late. The storyline basically had Tony Schiavone calling the police, begging them to find Eric Bischoff. (laughs) So I don't know how he could have just been tied up in meetings at their corporate office and no one was like, oh, hey, you know that on the air right now, these guys are like very worried about you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Nope, can't be bothered. Eric also says that he talked to the WCW offices today and they've been inundated with calls from fans who say that their kids were up all night crying and destroying their Hulk Hogan merchandise. (laughs) Bobby says that he's been giving his opinion on Hogan for 20 years and last night he was finally proven right. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Here to call Jim Powers (laughs) versus Ric Flair is our own uh, nature boy. Why not? (laughs) Dave Amatorp. (laughs) That's why I got to write these things ahead of time because I'm not that good on my feet. <laughs> it's funny you mailed it in because we're about to have a match. <laughs> ah! uh, but yeah, we were we were talking about it on the Bash of the Beach. This whole idea that Ric Flair is United States champion was sort of uh, a way of Hogan kind of keeping Ric Flair down a rung. Yeah, basically. Yep. And I, I just I I was making the note that it was really disappointing to me to kind of find out about that. Um, that. Basically, Flair saw the title as like a symbolic way of uh, you're 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 no longer the top guy anymore. Right. W- which it, it, it's it, it was unfortunate because this like title reign for as long as it lasts, it really opens up this opportunity for Flair to face a lot of like younger guys. That's true. And yeah. It, and it he has some like really interesting, compelling matches. 
Um, so it's just like, ah, it's just kind of unfortunate that like you look, I'm looking back and, and realizing that he probably hated having the title basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's, um, you know, I have sort of qualms with the, um, big U S open challenge, U S title challenge open, whatever the fuck that John Cena thing was called. Sure. Um, I have some issues with it here and there, but it was lar- largely seen by most people to be a major success. And there's no reason that they couldn't have programmed a similar thing with Flair, just taking on all comers. And mm-hmm. like you said, programming him with people that he wouldn't normally be with because those people are still sort of more in the typical main event scene. Yeah. That would have been a fun way to, to sort of take it. Yeah. So, I mean, as we'll see as a, as this, as a, it goes on for the next few weeks or months, that he's going to have like some very interesting matches. So uh, even if he wasn't really enjoying this moment, like the fans can really enjoy it. So, uh However, it's not off to a roaring start with his opponent being Jim Powers. Yeah. Um, uh, at this point, uh, some pictures of last night's telematch were shown from Bash of the Beach, and Bischoff sounds almost depressed over the fact that Conan lost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to note that they show us a few pictures, and we only get one picture of actual wrestling, which is Conan power slamming Flair. Yeah. <laughs> And then the next picture is Flair with the title. So it doesn't really tell much of a story at all. Anyway, after a little bit of posturing, we begin with a collar and elbow tie-up, which uh, Powers leverages into a headlock takedown. After a clean break, we get a second collar and elbow tie-up, which Flair turns into a headlock of his own. The two come off the ropes, and Powers eventually hits the Nature Boy with a back body drop, followed by his second headlock takedown. Back on their feet, Powers lets his guard down, allowing Flair to kick him in the gut before tossing his younger adversary out of the ring, in which Woman quickly is attacking Powers with an eye rake. However, Jim Powers manages to, uh, uh, when he gets on the apron and Sunset flips back into the ring, and after Flair's knuckle sandwich hilariously hits nothing but canvas, (laughs) Powers folds over for his third headlock takedown of the contest. So we're kind of getting an idea of what Jim Powers can and can't do. One, headlock. Two, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) After they return to their feet, uh, Flair gets an eye poke before chopping Powers onto the mat. Flair backs Powers in the corner and chops him, but that only fires Jim up, who unloads on the champ with chops before hitting a a back body drop. At this point, I kind of am noticing that Flair is not really getting a whole lot of elevation on when he gets back body dropped. Right. So I'm not sure whatever injury or injuries he's currently kind of like dealing with, uh, but he's been back body dropped twice in this match and it's, he's just barely kind of making the requirements mm. for that. So yeah. I just thought that was kind of interesting because that's something he kind of goes all out for. Um, Powers uh, sends Flair. He whips into the corner and the Flair does the thing where he flips over the ring post. Yep. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, Flair is a great little moment here. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, it pumps up the fans as Flair stomps away uh, around ringside of anger. He 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 does a little tour. He like he stomps down one side of the ring, turns a corner, stomps down, Mm -hmm. jaws at a fat guy a little bit, dances with woman. Yep. Like I I think he's getting his confidence back to get like get back in the ring. (laughs) He's like he starts off mad, then he's like, "Well, that guy's fat, and I've got a beautiful woman to dance with." (laughs) That's right, I'm Ric Flair, and then he can get back in the ring. Right. That's the only way he can like get himself in the place where he's ready to fight. And and also considering like the way that the arrangement is around ringside, like he's like an inch away from this fan's face. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's right up in his grill. And so after he dances about, like you said, 
he he storms up the the steps like he has all of his confidence back. Gets to the ring and immediately pleads off Jim Powers, <laughs> which I hope it's like a way to confuse Jim Powers because it sure confused me. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a reason why Flair has like a formula that he follow. Like mm-hmm. Flair worked. Th- people always say Flair had like Bret Hart famously said Ric Flair worked one match, and he worked it over and over and over again. Right. And this is that match. This is the Ric Flair formulaic match. Mm -hmm. But the reason he does it is because he was getting put in with guys all the time that just couldn't work on his level. Right. And Jim Powers is not at Flair's level, so Flair knows this formula can work. Mm -hmm. He knows that it can take a guy who's competent, barely, and make that guy look decent. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a good match, but it's not a terrible match. It's no, a two-star, two-and-a-half-star just... Well, I mean, he, he makes Jim Powers look formidable, yeah. which is, like, the whole point of the match in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so, Ric Flair, there's nobody better at going in there with a guy exactly like Jim Powers yeah. and extracting a decent match out of it. That's that's Ric Flair's entire MO, is doing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So, after he begs off, he, he gets an eye poke and a snapmare before Flair heads to the top rope. Where, of course, uh, he is thrown right back into the ring, in which Powers starts unloading with a series of clotheslines. However, that can only get him a two count. Uh, Flair counters an Irish whip with a back elbow, but his figure four is countered with a small package for a two. Eventually, uh, Flair manages to clip uh, the back of Powers' knee with an elbow. Uh, he start, He works the knee a little bit just to you know kind of get his action in and mm-hmm. then he slaps on the figure four and of course since it's Ric Flair woman helps him with leverage in order to get the submission victory uh yeah again like you were saying this is this is Ric Flair pounding out like a two and a half star match from someone that probably puts up like one and a half stars on a regular basis um and 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 I know I've said this before I just like I just like to mention it the fact that like when I was a kid I thought it made Ric Flair look really weak that he cheated all the time but older, when I'm older now, I realize that that's just like he cheats because he can. It's not yeah. that he has to; it's because he can cheat. I mean, it's like fa- a compulsion for Ric Flair, right? It's like, yeah, he can beat Jim Powers without cheating, but that's not what Ric Flair does. <laughs> <laughs> Ric Flair <laughs> cheats whenever he can against anyone. Um, yeah. So then he gets a submission victory and immediately goes out to the ring where we have an uh, interview with the entire four horsemen who have suddenly showed up. It seems like it's kind of solemn, a kind of a letdown after last night, but I guarantee you things are going to be heating up. But personally, for me, woman, try restrain yourself. Joining me, the four horsemen, Sands, Chris Benoit, still uh, U.S. champ from last night. Arn Anderson, I know after last evening, a lot of things running through even the minds of the horsemen. You know, last night there was a lot of highs and a lot of lows for the horsemen. Big Michael, big win. Flair, now the U.S. champion. Things didn't go exactly like we wanted. Consequently, we don't get a title shot. But what I saw at the end of the night made me want to puke. You see, the horsemen have never tried to be role models. We've never claimed to be role models. But there's a man out there that that was his claim to fame. And there's a people all across this world that their very lives hinged on what he said. So what you did... I was one of those that with a vengeance went after you and you know who you are. But it's not supposed to end like this. You're supposed to stand for something. You're not supposed to leave 
in the, like a thief in the night while everybody's heart that you stepped and stomped on last night are going to rise up to bite you and bite you real hard. Ask me, I know. Got a pretty good idea where that bite might take place. Uh, Steve Mongo McMichael, successful last night at the Bash at the Beef. Insider, outsider, just like the term four horsemen alludes to, my friend, the apocalypse is on the WCW, and it don't have anything to do with anybody else but the four horsemen. Thank you very much. Uh, Nature Boy. Excuse me? Who do you think this is? Jumpin' Jack Flash? This is five times all pro. Five times a man. Show him the ring. And behind me, the enforcer, double A, unparalleled. And outsiders, insiders, until you can heal the sick, wake the dead, and drive little girls right out of the head. Woo! Giant, giant, giant. There's a new champ in town, buddy. One that can go all night long, right, girls? Woo! Thank you very much, gentlemen. They are the four horsemen. They are alive and well at World Championship Wrestling. Stay tuned. More exciting action. We are live. Oh, there now. Like live from Orlando. Like Give it a rest, Blair. This is not the time or place. Arn Anderson says that the horsemen never claimed to be or tried to be role models. But Hogan was supposed to stand for something, and everyone who had their hearts stomped on by Hogan will rise up against him. Mongo says that the apocalypse is on WCW thanks to the four horsemen. Uh -huh. He's just kind of like, okay, <laughs> yep, that's where the name comes from, all right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Flair says that until all the outsiders and insiders can heal the sick, wake the dead, and drive little girls right out of their heads. <laughs> but then he doesn't remember to continue the sentence after the rhyme. Right. So what he ends up saying is, uh, heal the sick, wake the dead, and drive little girls right out of their heads. Giant, 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 there's a new champ in town. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, Rick. <laughs> uh, there's a new champ in town who, in fact, can go all night long. Right. And uh, as we go to commercial, Flair decides to taunt Conan one more time with La Cucaracha. <laughs> just right before we go to commercial, if I could just say one more racist thing. <laughs> just real quick, please. No, Gene, wait, wait. I have something. La Cucaracha. <laughs> thing that he did like five times last night that we don't need again. <laughs> Bischoff admits that they are all distracted tonight and down, uh, but that WCW is still here to fight. Bobby tries to reassure him that now that we know who the third man is, WCW is in a better position because next time they'll be ready. We see some pics of Lex being stretchered out last night. Eric says that we still don't know his condition, which is why. Like, <laughs> right. Ask the doctor. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it, he almost makes it sound like they don't know where he is. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> He doesn't know how ambulances work. He just knows if a guy gets sick, these other men take him off somewhere. <laughs> and what happens after that? Eric Bischoff has no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is how he's a guy who can go to meetings and somehow disappear off the face of the planet <laughs> for right. four hours. Uh, Eric says that it was supposed to be Lex Luger versus Chris Benoit tonight, but with Lex out, Benoit will instead face Sergeant Craig Pittman, who comes out along with Teddy Long. Benoit comes out and Bischoff compares him to a Wolverine, which I believe is the first time that we will hear that nickname associated with uh, Chris Benoit. Yeah, I made I made the note as well. Uh, as far as like I don't know if it's the first of its kind, but 
seems like we're both on the same way. Like we haven't heard that before unless they've said it on one of the minor shows. But I mean, does that really count? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, here to call all the action is our own Wolverine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Dave Amateur. <laughs> so Chris Benoit comes out to the ring sporting the most ridiculous bruises on his face possible um, to face Craig Pitbull Pittman. Uh, which we begin with some mat wrestling uh, before Pittman whips Benoit into the ropes and hits a gorgeous overhead belly-to-belly suplex that not only looks great, but they have, like, the perfect camera angle for it, too. So this is, like, the biggest highlight of Pittman's career so far Yeah, <laughs> is this belly-to-belly. He follows it up with a German suplex but is unable to capitalize as the crippler shoves him into the corner. There's more grappling in the corner before Benoit catches Pitbull with a back elbow then unleashes a, flurries of, a flurry of knees to Pittman's gut to drop him to the mat. After choking Pittman on the rope, Benoit backs him into another corner and starts chopping away. The two men exchange a series of blows before Benoit gains the advantage with an eye rake. I just wanted to note that, like, I just I can't tell, but it seems like these guys are kind of hitting each other a little bit harder than, than usual. I don't know if there's, like... Someone got frustrated or something like that, but they're kind of like really going at it. Benoit, in general, is just vicious in this match. Like, yeah, it looks like maybe he's not full on taking liberties and potatoing him, but like even when they're just grappling and tussling, he's just manhandling him. He's just shoving him, and it it just it's very very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like by the end of this match that, and it's not a long match, but Pittman seems exhausted. Like I yeah. think just like. He's just been manhandled by Benoit, who's, yeah, I don't know if he's pissed. I don't know if he's just, you know, selling his character. I don't know. But he looks incredibly vicious tonight. Yeah. Um, the only thing I thought is if uh, if um, if Benoit took ex- uh, exception to the fact that he, he used the German suplex against him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it se- that seems like something that Benoit could get yeah, mad about. Yeah, he was kind of a angry, <laughs> somewhat petty dude, it sounds like. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, so they were exchanging blows, but Benoit gains the advantage with an eye rake. Benoit considers going to the top row for a headbutt, but changes his mind. This gives Petman the opening to headbutt Benoit in the gut himself, which sends the horseman out to the out to the ringside. Um, out of ringside, Benoit decides to I don't know like try to attack Teddy Long or or whatever his plan is, but uh, Pittman goes out uh to the ringside. And it is just not able to capitalize. Benoit just attacks him anyway. So yeah. Th- this is just not Pittman's night. <laughs> After that belly-to-belly overhead suplex, it was downhill from there. <laughs> uh, back in the ring, Benoit is quick to attack with kicks before putting on the crippler crossface. Teddy Long enters the ring and throws in the towel, per se, for his man. Basically, he goes to the ref, uh, tells him that, he, that it should end, and there's like 30 seconds before the referee decides, like, yeah, okay, that works. Yeah, it's like the ref wasn't smartened up that this was the finish. Like, And right. after he finally does it, you hear Teddy Long say, that some, he's like, come on, man. And it works in character, yeah. but I also think he might have just been, like, mad. <laughs> right. Like, they go for the ending, but then it just, like, drags out before... Because, like, Benoit is waiting for a bell to ring. Right. And the bell doesn't ring for a long time, so he's just holding this move. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> this match, I think it's, like, two and a half minutes but it's just a bizarre two and a half minutes. <laughs> As we go to commercial, we can see uh, Pittman arguing with Teddy Long over the decision to throw in the towel. So I'm guessing in the long term, this is the way to separate the two of them. 
or or at least you know plant some seeds of dissension. Sure, and maybe it's all like a way to build up Pittman as a tough guy. Yeah, or you know, you probably don't want your your U.S. Marine character out Tap. there tapping. Yeah. Um. So I guess it it helps him save face a little bit. After a commercial, we come back and the Horseman music is playing, and out comes the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Sting comes to the ring as Bischoff puts over Sting's performance last night at the pay-per-view. Essentially, since Sting embodies WCW, there is nobody in storyline in kayfabe who is more hurt by what happened than the Stinger. Oh, oh, Sting. Bischoff gets word through his headset that the Outsiders are at Disney, or I guess I should say he gets word that visitors yeah. are there. He'll never specify. That's what I was uh Talking about earlier, he never says exactly who is there. He keeps saying he has to get confirmation on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they leave open the possibility that Hogan is one of the people who have shown up to disrupt things. And it's it's also still playing this weird thing where they don't want to say their names. Right. Yeah, they kind of go back and forth on that a lot. Yeah. Arn offers his hand to the Stinger, who isn't interested. So Arn just gives up. I really like that little detail um, because, you know, Sting was massively betrayed last night mm-hmm. and he's not in a trusting mood. Y- you know, normally the dumb baby face takes the hand of the heel and pays the price for it. Mm-hmm. But like Sting's not going to look that stupid. Like last night he got the biggest, you know, stab in the back of all time. He's not going to go out there and shake right. Arn Anderson's hand 24 hours later. Which, by the way, he's now facing Arn Anderson in a match. What do you mean? Because you said Sting came out. You didn't mention the match at all. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's our main event. Yes. <laughs> the two men lock up, and Sting muscles Arn into a corner. After a clean break, they lock up again, and Sting gets a side headlock and then comes off the ropes with a shoulder block. A third lockup, and this time Arn works his way to a hammer lock, which Sting reverses. Arn tosses Sting to the outside and goes for a pile driver, which Sting reverses into a back body drop. We go to a commercial, and our world is about to change. Oh, because blood is running so cold. You know, maybe since you've decided you're not doing it in July, maybe cut back to one promo per episode for this. <laughs> At least until you decide when he's going to debut, you know? Seriously. <laughs> back to the match, and Sting is in control until Arn nails the spinebuster, leading to a standing 10 count on both men from Nick Patrick. Arn is up first and continues his attack with some stomps and an Irish whip. Bischoff worries that there is a lack of security due to the outdoor venue, which I don't know if Disney's going to want you talking like that. <laughs> We get an abdominal stretch by Arm until Sting works his way out with a hip toss. Sting goes for a splash, but Arn gets his knees up for a two count. Arn gets Sting into a Boston Crab, and the crowd is fully behind the Stinger as we cut to a limo that presumably contains Hall and Nash that is ominously parked nearby. Mm, Ominous. Arn chokes Sting on the ropes, and Bobby speculates that all three men could be in the limo. Arn comes off the second rope with a double axe handle attempt, but Sting clotheslines him out of midair. On their feet, Arn takes it to Sting, and we cut to the aisle where Nash and Hall wander up toward the ring. Bobby claims that there's still someone in the car. Spoiler alert, there isn't. <laughs> Bobby's just saying things, as he sometimes does. <laughs> also, he can't see in the car, so yeah. why would he know that? <laughs> he can only see the things that we see. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Sting gets a back body drop and heads to the top rope for a flying clothesline that gets a two count. Sting and Arn exchange punches as Doug Dillinger and security try to stop the Outsiders. Sting and Arn finally notice and stop fighting to focus on the two men outside the ring. Hall is in his normal jeans and a denim vest, whereas Nash has on some jeans and a t-shirt for the Go-Go Sports Bar in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which includes the full phone number for said establishment that he's wearing on national television. (laughs) 
Uh, out of curiosity, I kind of wanted to see if that place was still around and what it was like. Um, and I couldn't find the name, but I checked the phone number, and it is indeed still a bar in uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey, but it is now called Lookers, and it is a strip club. Oh. And I'm 99% sure it was when Nash was wearing its shirt <laughs> here at Disney <laughs> right. in 1996. <laughs> I, I hope when you saw the name Lookers, if you were wondering, I wonder if that's a strip club or not. <laughs> I just, I hope that he got some sort of like 20 lap dance for free deal of wearing their shirt on TV, and that's right. why he did. Yep. Bobby Heenan says that they should get the gender, I don't even know how to pronounce it, the, the gendarmes to eject the outsiders. Yeah, so I looked it up, I spelled it phonetically, and I was actually able to find it, and a gendarme is a heavy cavalryman of noble birth, primarily serving in the French army from late <laughs> medieval to early modern periods of European history. <laughs> it's essentially the French version of saying, like, a sergeant at arms. Yeah. So instead of saying we should get security or the cops, yeah. he says we should get the fancy French word for a sergeant at arms <laughs> to eject these guys. It's... I've never heard Bobby use, like, French, medieval French <laughs> at random. It was so strange. <laughs> These outsiders have broken his brain. Suddenly, the Macho Man is in the ring. He's wearing all pink and a giant black cowboy hat, and yet somehow managed to sneak into the ring. <laughs> like, he just appears out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Arn tries to take advantage of the situation and attacks Sting, but somehow that you can't quite make out due to the camera work. Right. Uh, Sting gets on the Scorpion Deathlock and gets a submission victory. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we go on to kind of the aftermath, uh, talk about the match, I didn't think it was very good. Um, I thought that both men seemed kind of like sullen and distracted. And if announcing had played up the fact that they were sullen and distracted mm -hmm. from what happened last night, yeah. I think it could have actually told kind of a cool story. But the announcers never did that. So it just looked like these guys were like hot and wanted to go home. Right. Yeah. And it's just... There was no focus really on this match whatsoever. Right. So it's really hard for uh, a viewer to be really interested in the match at all since they, they cut away from it like 90% of the time. I imagine as performers, it's tough to get into the beginning of your match when you know that the ending is going to be a non-finish. I mean, it is. I guess there is a finish, but mm -hmm. the ending is so unimportant because it's really all about the outsiders showing up. Yeah, well, it's like you're going to have a match but here's the thing. No one's going to care about this match. Right. And as soon as it's over, we can move on to something more important. Meanwhile, on the outside of the ring, Macho Man and the Outsiders are trying to get at each other, but security successfully keeps them apart. Stinger wants it, and he wants it bad, says Eric Bischoff. <laughs> it's so easy to take 90% of wrestling announcing out of context and make it sound gay, but especially Stinger wants it, and he wants it bad. It's like... um. Bischoff to, should do the thing like Tobias Funke did. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a great gimmick. <laughs> Which, if people don't know, that's uh, where uh, Tobias Funke was from Arrested Development, and he had the thing where he also said very overtly sexual. Or, he, was, yeah, he was unaware of his constant double entendres yeah. that were like mostly about how he wants to be gay but didn't quite realize it about himself. <laughs> right. I'll be your wingman. <laughs> Even if it means me taking a chubby, I will suck it up. Gene Okerlund climbs into the ring with Sting, and let's hear what the Stinger's got to say. All right, Eric, I'm going to try to talk to everybody if I can. I'm going to start with Sting after what happened last night at the Bash at the Beach in neighboring Orlando. Sting, a very somber mood here tonight. I can't believe it. I can feel it. You can feel it. These people continue 
to make our lives very, very tenuous. They did it again tonight, right in the middle of your match with Arn Anderson. But let's go back to last night. What's your sense of what happened at the Bash at the Beach? I am not at all surprised. What happened last night, I'm not surprised about coming from the two outsiders. But I will say I am very, very surprised at you, Hulk Hogan. But I should have known. I should have known when you were traveling to every town in that big fat limo. I should have known because you didn't want to travel with the Macho Man and Total Package and the Stinger. Uh-uh, you were too busy making big movies and coming in for a little cameo appearance. You were too busy walking on the dark side. I should have known when you referred to the Macho Man and the Total Package and me as three little dogs waiting for a chance to wrestle the great Hulk Hogan. I should have known when I looked into your eyes. Do you know something? I made a mistake. But you made a bigger mistake. Because last night, you wiped out and trashed every single little kid, every single person that was a part of your life that patterned their life after you. You told them to believe in the man upstairs. You told them to say their prayers and to take their vitamins. You told them to believe in themselves. And you know something? It's a good thing you told them to believe in themselves because they sure as heck can't believe in you. By the way. And last but not least, to put the cherry on the top, all those little kids, you told them to stick it. No. You stick it, Hulk. You stick it. That is very strong. By the way, as fate would have it, these two men and their partner last night, Lex Luger got knocked out early in the action, so the two of you had to go against the outsiders. Macho Man Randy Savage, you were very close with Hulk Hogan as I was. You were part of the mega powers. And if anybody got it stuck up or stuck that, well, stuck to him, you got, really got it stuck to you. I get a message for Hollywood Hogan. But what I want to tell ya, and what I want to do to ya, I can't say you're on television, especially here at Disney. But you take the worst thing that you can think about, and you multiply it by the number nine million, and then you multiply it by infinity and beyond. It would be just like one grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, brother, because it's really, really scary what I'm thinking and gonna do to you. Yeah! Boy, there is some energy, there is some emotion built up in these bodies, these minds, all of us at World Championship Wrestling still wondering what happened to Hulk Hogan last night. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live in Orlando. This is Nitro, and we're right back. Sting says that he's very surprised by the action of Hulk Hogan, but he should have known better because Hogan traveled in town to town in his own limo instead of with the boys like he, Lex, and Macho did. Hulk was too busy with movies and walking on the dark side. 
Sting goes way back to an old Hogan promo that referred to him, Lex, and Savage as little dogs who wanted their chance at Hogan's title, which he was carrying at the time. Mm -hmm. Sting admits that he made a mistake, but Hogan made a bigger one by wiping out his relationship with the fans and the kids. An impassioned Sting says that Hogan told people to say their prayers, eat their vitamins, and believe in themselves. And it's a good thing he told them to believe in themselves, because they sure as heck can't believe in Hulk Hogan. Damn. He's... That's... On fire. That line is so fucking good. This promo is really good, too, because it's like he gets opportunity to kind of lash out at Hogan, and yeah. he, he delivers, you know? Yep. I mean, the whole thing about Hogan riding in limo by himself, I 100% believe that's what actually happened, too. And, it, yeah, it gives him a way to kind of, like, air out his any personal grievances he has. Sting is having maybe the promo of a lifetime, but Okerlund just fucks up the rhythm and just starts another question. He just <laughs> says something like, if I may, and then stops because I'm assuming someone in his headset's going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sting clearly has more to say, so Gene just gives the mic back over. Uh, but maybe it was for the best, as Sting's finish is actually incredibly weak. As He just says, Hulk told the kids to stick it last night. But actually, it's Hulk who should be the one who sticks it. <laughs> Man, I was so disappointed by the end of this promo because this was really the best Sting promo I've ever seen. Mm. And I remember, I don't remember the contents. I know there was one other promo he gave that we've talked. And I think it was on Hogan. I think it was during Hogan's Dark Side thing. Well, it was, um, he, it was before he was going to face Hogan the next week. Yeah. And he was talking about how, oh, I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was a really good one where it's like, uh, about like him like coming into Sting's backyard, and he was like, it was only a matter of time before this happened, right? And he was looking forward to their match. Yeah, so I agree. I I think this was a really good promo. That you know, it's I would kind of blame Okerlund for breaking his momentum. Yeah, and because Sting's, I mean, for all his good qualities, he you can't, like if he takes a pause or is not like uh, continuing on, like he just kind of loses focus. Yeah, we've seen that before for mm-hmm. sure. Macho Man also has a message for Hollywood Hogan, which I believe is the first time that nickname has been used. Yeah, and I and I like that as being like a uh like an insult of a name. Absolutely. Oh, Mr. Hollywood Hogan over here who who didn't even show up to Nitro by the way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But what Macho Man wants to say to Hulk, he can't say on television, especially at Disney World. <laughs> but Hulk should think of the worst thing he can think of and multiply it by the number 9 million, and then multiply that by infinity and beyond, (laughs) and that would still only be a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert compared to what Macho Man wants to do (laughs) to Hulk Hogan. Now, I'm torn, because it's kind of funny, and I like the just nonsensical numbers and whatever, but if you take what's going on with sort of the storyline in general, which is this pivot towards a very reality-based way of looking at wrestling yeah and then sting's promo fits in with that new style perfectly Mm -hmm. like it's right in lockstep with the kind of product wcw wants to start promoting yeah macho man's promo here is very much 1988 you know he it's still very much the old way um and so where i think it's maybe good and it's funny and it's got some good parts it's just I don't know. It's just it doesn't really feel like that's going to fit in with what we're going to be seeing. And Macho Man's going to need to start adapting his style or he's going to stand out even more like a sore thumb. Right. No, I I agree. Um, 
it was a very basic Macho Man promo, which is not really what the moment calls for. You know, because we got a little bit more heated sting, so not in theory we should have gotten like something a little bit extra from Macho Man, but he just kind of gave like the. It's a very Macho Man thing to say to overstate like how much he hates him, that sort of thing. After a commercial, Mean Gene is standing by with the Outsiders. They're just sort of standing by the limo, mm-hmm. uh, and as they're talking, you can just see people filing past them to leave. Yeah, and it's it's extra funny because they're maybe like four feet away. It's not like you have to like look in the background of the shot. No, these people are like the focal shot of the of the shot is people leaving to like beat traffic. Yeah, it's like because they can't see this promo. They must realize nothing more is going to happen in the ring for mm-hmm. them. So like why the hell not just get out of here? Yeah, I mean to give an idea of how close they are, like they have they're maneuvering around the limo cuz yeah. it's in the way of getting out. Orlando, <laughs> Florida. I came over here this afternoon with what was it? Kissimmee Cab Company. Of course, these two gentlemen, you know who they are. We certainly found out who they are or were last night. They come in limo with the driver here. Gentlemen, we have things to talk about. What transpired last night at the Bash of the Beach, first knocking Lex Luger out of action. It happened, actually, at the hands of one of his own men, Sting. Sting and the Macho Man then continuing on. The surprise of the night we'll see a little bit later, just moments from now, right here on TNT. But you, sir... You and your partner come to this great organization, and all of a sudden, things start to crumble. But I don't think that trend is going to continue for long, my friend. You know, Gene, I could uh, have to uh, beg to differ with you on that one. You know, I thought tonight after we proved ourselves, you know, WCW last night took a beating. You know, the fans took a beating because the Hulkster told them exactly how it was. You know, Hulk built professional wrestling, these people can't even appreciate that. He and I can. Next week, the third member of the New Order will be here. Hulk Hogan will be at Nitro. And we'll see what these people have to do. We'll see what the, the WCW, the, what the big boys are going to put up against us. Because last night, I don't know about you, big boy, but uh, I felt like Mike, uh, Mark Furman at the... Uh, the the OJ trial? No, at the Apollo. I mean, geez, come on. The people were rough on us. They had reason to be rough on you. And I'll tell you, one man, if he's not here, has got to be watching this television program. Hulk Hogan, so many people so disappointed in your actions. I don't know if you coerced him into this or if he did this of his own volition, but nonetheless, it's been done. I just want to start by saying, Chico, that this portion of WCW Monday Nitro brought to you by The Outsiders and Hulk Hogan. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Hey, we said we'd do it. We advertised it, then we delivered. We said we'd kick their butts, and we did it. And we're still the outsiders. We got to crash the party. You should be begging us to come in the door. You know, somebody made a comment to me this evening that, that I might not be working any longer. I'd like to know just what kind of control you guys have here. Gene. You know, scheme gene. As far as I'm concerned, Chico, you got a job with the New World Order. Gentlemen, I will continue to work for Turner Broadcasting. What's the word with Hogan? Where is he tonight? Well, uh, I believe the Hulkster's back on the set uh, doing a movie tonight. Yeah, you know something? What? I heard that punk Randy Savage talking about Hollywood Hulk. A little bit jealous there, Mach. Just a little jealous. And, and for Luger, 
He didn't get hurt. He fainted when he saw us. Thank you, gentlemen. I don't like what I hear. Stay tuned. When we return on Nitro, you're going to see what went down. Please, at the bash at the beach. Don't go away. Nash says that they proved themselves last night. He says that Hulk Hogan built pro wrestling, and the fans don't appreciate it, but he and Hall do. Nash says that last night he felt like Mark Furman, the famously racist Los Angeles cop who got a ton of attention during the O.J. Simpson murder trial. Uh, Nash mm. felt like Mark Furman at the Apollo, a New York theater known largely for black performers and audiences. Yeah. It's a really tortured joke to just yeah. be like, I feel like a noted racist around a lot of black people. Because he, yeah, he says Mark Furman, and he is just like, waiting for Oakland to get it. And yeah. Oakland's like, yeah, at the trial? No, at the Apollo. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. just like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's a really weird joke, and I don't, I just don't get it. And it's a weird place for Nash to go, because at least in 2017, Nash is, is surprisingly uh, woke, to use that term. <laughs> like, if you follow Nash on Twitter, like, he does not cotton for, like, a, and he, he's a Detroit guy um, who grew up with, like, a lot of black music, and he likes rat, like, he's... You can look at a lot of guys in wrestling and you're like, whoa, that fucker's racist. But, like, Nash isn't one of them. Yeah. Which kind of is almost surprising, I guess, which is why I keep going on about it. But Well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things, like, with Wolfpack that they kind of, like, they take from, like, black culture. That's true. So, um, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, he was definitely really involved or into, like, the, the scene. But It's just a weird joke. <laughs> right. Hall says that this portion of Nitro was brought to you by the Outsiders and Hulk Hogan. He goes on to say that they did what they said they were going to do. Gene says that he's worried about what kind of power these men have, going back to that comment from the Nasty Boys that his own job could be in jeopardy. Mm. That's really shaken him up. <laughs> and actually that comment was from Jimmy Hart. My notes are wrong, but now that I'm saying it, I remember that was Jimmy Hart. Hall promises Oakland, though, that he always will have a job with the New World Order. <laughs> Gene asks where Hulk is, and Nash just truthfully admits that he's back on the set of a movie. <laughs> right. Like, no, no kayfabe there. He's just, that's what he's doing. <laughs> he's back in Hollywood. Hall runs down Macho Man a bit, and we go to another commercial. When we come back, Bischoff and Bobby are just sitting at the desk, and it's finally time to see those images of last night showing Hulk Hogan's turn, and so that's what we do. Mm. They swerved everybody, says Bobby, as we see uh, the images. The announcers go on for a little bit. Uh, Bobby kind of gives like a little impassioned promo about the strength of WCW. And that is the lackluster end to what I would call a lackluster show. <laughs> I really felt like there was a lot of energy that was missing tonight. Um, certainly the cruiserweight match and the Eddie psychosis match were awesome. Yep. Everything else just felt kind of there. Just mm. sort of fill it. It felt like a time filler. Like we've done this huge thing. We can't really follow up on it until next week. We've got to get through these two hours, and it's very hot. Yeah. So, so <laughs> let's just trust on the Mexican guys to do what they always do and steal the show, mm -hmm. and we'll just kind of regroup and come back next week. It, it's like um, like the last game of a baseball series, the getaway game. Yes. Where it's just like, yeah, we got to be here. We're going to have a few – we'll – We'll do some stuff, but, like, seriously, we're on to, like, the next thing. And just, like, how at the Giddyway game, like, the guy batting cleanup is, like, the sixth infielder on that team who you never see normally. Right. Jim Powers is on Nitro tonight. <laughs> He's the cleanup hitter. <laughs> going for a title, you know? <laughs> That's it's a perfect metaphor. I like that. In our Raw recap, the Ultimate Warrior defeated Owen Hart by disqualification. 
he was then attacked by uh, Camp Cornette. And remember, we talked a while ago about how yeah, this is this is taped, right? Yep, this yep. is pre-taped, mm-hmm. and how kind of they, if they decide to announce that he's very injured, that could be a sign that he is on his way out. Okay. Well, what WWF actually does here is blend reality and kayfabe because so many people know what's going on with Warrior right. that they can't they they sort of backed into a corner where they can't just lie about it. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they have their kayfabe on-screen authority figure, Gorilla Monsoon, announce what the actual sanction is from the company which is that warrior is going to be suspended for missing recent house shows okay but he will be allowed to come back if he posts a bond to wwf that it will ensure that he appears at his scheduled events Hmm. so if he doesn't uh appear they'll just keep the money whatever amount i i forget the amount i think it is in the observer but who knows if he got the exact real amount or not okay but so that's what gorilla monsoon announces on raw and that is 100 percent uh, a shoot that is what they actually are demanding of warrior yeah. if he wants to return to the company uh in other raw action savio vega defeated justin bradshaw Ooh. davy boy smith and vader defeated the godwins and it was announced that sid would take warrior's place teaming with hbk and ahmed johnson at the upcoming in your house international incident against vader owen and bulldog okay in our ratings roundup, Nitro did a 3.5, uh, 3.3 in the first hour and 3.7 in the second hour, so combining to a 3.5, which was a full point over Raw's 2.5, so a solid win for I, Nitro tonight. Yeah, I would have, I mean, no matter how the show went, I would have expected them to have a, a really well-viewed show after Bash of the Beach. Absolutely, and, and we'll see how... Um, you know, announcing that Hogan is going to be back next week. We'll see if that kind of gives him even more of a bounce. Mm-hmm. I would expect that it will. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any stretch to say at this point in pro wrestling, like the like he's the most coveted like act out there right now. Like the idea of him doing a just doing a promo next week, I would imagine would be especially. It'll be interesting to see what their second, because you know it's going to be second hour, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of rating that gets because I, I think, even though he had like that awesome promo at Bash at the Beach, they're kind of like, I think people are still expecting like, a, a, like a more full statement about what they plan on doing. Right. Absolutely. In our news from the wrestling world, only a few notes here and there. Uh, both the WCW and WWF have made offers to Davy Boy Smith. Uh, Bret Hart is officially now working without a contract. Okay. So he's also able to be wooed by WCW. Uh, WCW is looking to do Starcade in a foreign country this year. Hmm. Former NWA world champion Barry Windham is on his way to WWF. Ooh. Um, I th- what character does he end up doing there? He the pl- stalker? He plays the stalker. Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> and according to the Chicago Sun-Times, Dale Torborg, the son of former White Sox and Indians manager Jeff Torborg, wants to wrestle for the WWF. Hmm. We will eventually see him here in WCW. So, uh, and it says a sort of a funny character. So, I just wanted to plant that seed here because it's the first mention of him at all in the Observer. <laughs> do you do you know who Dale Torborg ends up? Portraying? Yeah, I, I just think it's funny because it's always <laughs> yeah. It's by the time we get there, I'll probably forgot that I'll have mentioned this. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> seed is well planted anyway apologies for the long wait from our last episode that bash the beach episode uh, a lot went into producing that one editing it mm-hmm. researching it so um it just uh, kind of needed a break after that um 
We'll have another little bit of a break here as I, I've got a big housewarming party at this new house coming up at the end of the month. So there's a lot of cleaning and house projects that we have. Right. But after that schedule opens up, you're you're uh, sort of living closer to me once again. So uh, yeah, yeah, we went from uh, a, a three hour like planned a weekend to more like 25, 30 minutes, something like that. Yeah. So we will we'll definitely be back um, soon, probably like three, three, four weeks. We'll be back right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. <laughs>